Hello, and welcome to the Rediscovering Play podcast brought to you by Biba. I'm your host, Mike Rosen. As we've previously discussed, our mission at Biba and the goal of this podcast is to investigate, explore, and question what it means to play for kids in this modern era. Whether that's through building mobile games designed to get kids back out on playgrounds to get the physical activity that they need, or doing a deep dive into parenting tips in this new technological age, we are committed to rediscovering the idea of play for today's families. And what better time to be rediscovering play? While many of us are finding ourselves spending way more time inside and working from home these days, it's understandable that we might be trying to figure out how best to maintain a sense of normalcy and how to avoid going completely stir-crazy while cooped up indoors. This is especially true for parents who are dealing with the fact that their children are home, schools are closed, playdates and activities are limited, and on top of that, kids have questions about what's going on in the world and parents need to know how best to answer them appropriately. How do we maintain a sense of play in these trying times? How do we play with our children in a way that's both fun and safe? How do we maximize the limits of our confined spaces to make sure that our kids are still able to get the physical activity that they need? On this next series of episodes of Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast, we aim to answer these questions and more through conversations with parents, childcare workers, medical staff, and various other industry professionals to provide you with helpful tips and tricks, new perspectives, and fresh insights to help ensure that you and your family can stay happy, healthy, and active while we navigate this new current at-home situation. Join us while we rediscover play together. On today's episode of Biba's Rediscovering Play podcast, our guests are Katie Esmond and Keisha Pollock-Porter. Katie Esmond recently completed a PhD in kinesiology at the University of Maryland College Park in the Physical Cultural Studies program. Her doctoral research centered on the social significance of digital self-tracking and how individuals as well as institutions are taking up emerging fitness technologies. Keisha Pollock-Porter is a professor of health policy and management at Johns Hopkins University and vice dean for faculty. Her work uses injury epidemiology, health impact assessment, and mixed methods to advance policies that create safe, healthy, and equitable environments where people live, work, play, and travel. On this episode, Keisha and Katie talk to us about the lack of physical education that's arising as the challenges of distance learning are occurring and the fact that those are disproportionately weighted towards low-income families. Hopefully you learned something and enjoy today's episode. Here's Katie and Keisha. Hey, Katie and Keisha, how are you guys doing? Doing well, thanks. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be a part of this conversation. Like I had sort of mentioned to you guys before, when I came across the article that you co-authored together on the conversation, I got really excited because a lot of what you guys are talking about and covered in there is encompasses a lot of the things that have been the focus of this podcast and that we've been talking about throughout, especially in terms of physical activity and the importance of physical activity always, but especially during this pandemic. And as we're sort of adjusting to these new normals, making sure that physical activity and getting outside and all those different things are, are being prioritized and that people are being mindful of all of that. Because I know that you guys speak quite a bit about the importance and the benefits that come from physical activity. The other piece that you guys talk about that I think is also something that we've addressed before that's really important is talking about this new sort of back-to-school adjustment that's being made and these sort of different alternative ways that people are approaching schooling, whether it be adjustments to the way that people are in class in person and specifically, like you mentioned in the article, distance learning. 
I know that you mentioned in the article that there are a lot of challenges that are starting to pop up in terms of prioritizing physical education and physical activity and distance learning environments and the challenges associated with that. So what have you guys seen in some of the research that you've been looking at and the effects that are occurring in that regard? Yeah, this is Keisha. Maybe I'll, I'll hop in and, and just say um, to your first point, you know, we know that in this country or worldwide for that matter, children and youth aged five to 17 should have at least 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous intensive uh, physical activity each day. And for many kids, they're, they're getting that through a variety of, of opportunities. One includes traveling to and from school, so safe routes to school initiatives. So kids walking and biking to and from school helps them get that, that 60 minutes. Um, for other kids, it's through physical activity, uh, through physical education, um, where it is more active, not the kind of PE I had <laughs> sometimes growing up where we were sedentary and watching or learning, but there's also really space for kids to move around. And so I just wanted to remind people of sort of that's what we're talking about and the fact that kids are not traveling to school, not going to school in PE in this time is really problematic. And um and I'm, I'm sure Katie has some things to add to that, but I just wanted to kind of set that that stage for, for the listeners. Yeah, I, I can build a little bit on that. Um, Keisha's totally right that for a lot of kids, going to school and being at school, having recess, having physical education, having sports team opportunities, that's the easiest way for them to be physically active. But it's different for kids who are situated differently. And so some kids really rely on what happens at school. They don't really have the resources or, and their parents um, are spread too thin to be able to support them in physical activities outside of school. But for a lot of kids, especially you know, mid middle class and upper middle class kids, they have tons of other opportunities to be physically active. Um, their neighborhoods are probably more likely to promote physical activity. Um, their parents can pay to put them on sports teams or, uh, you know, tennis lessons or something like that. And so, you know, I, I think it's really clear that basically everybody is suffering at the pandemic. <laughs> Kids are especially suffering when they can't go to school or school is drastically different. But when we're thinking about physical activity, some kids are just missing out on more than others because they have long relied on schools um, and, and those contexts for physical activity while other kids maybe had other opportunities elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I think that's a super important point. And I think it's something that at least from what I've seen online doesn't seem to come up often enough is talking about how the income disparities that exist have major, major impacts on these kinds of things. Because like you're saying, you know, if you are in a lower income bracket where both parents need to be working and don't necessarily have the time or resources to be able to make sure that not only are you overseeing distance learning for your children, but also making sure that there's enough time to be able to take them outside because you don't have that time or that focus, then they're missing out on that physical activity that they need, right? It's either so much easier to put them in front of a screen or a computer or not to be able to supervise them in those places. And there's huge lacks and barriers to access that exist in those capacities, like you mentioned. Yeah, I was just going to add to one thing Katie said around um, the barriers for for children from various backgrounds, right? So, so this is where Katie and I both converge in our interest in terms of equity, um, because we know that for certain kids, in addition to the coming from 
living in communities or coming from families that may have a lack of resources to access some of these extramural types of activities, there is this whole category of, of activities called that we consider pay to play, right? Like where you actually have to exchange resources or pay to participate in some sport. And that just creates an additional barrier when being able to participate in active play and be physically active should absolutely be free and safe, regardless of which neighborhood you live in, where you grew up. And so I think that makes the comments in this piece even, even more important. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting the impact that this whole pandemic have had on on sort of shedding a light on privilege and the impacts that it can have on that. I know that one of the conversations that we had earlier on this podcast was about these pandemic pods that were being formed or that are being formed and how those are inherently reliant on a certain amount of privilege. And not only does that mean that it's creating opportunities for education that are only available to certain groups of people, but the other impacts on that, and this was specifically in Dallas that we were talking about, which is the case in in many schools across the United States and Canada and around the world, is that funding is based on how many kids you actually have in that school. And if the people who have access to the privilege and can remove themselves from that situation, what it means is it actually reduces the funding for those schools because there's less people there, which then creates decreased resources for the families and for the children who are relying on public education, which is a right as opposed to a privilege. You know, everybody has the right to these activities. Everybody has the right to all this stuff. But if all the people who don't have to rely on that because they have the means to remove themselves from the system do so, then it just reduces the ability for, um, it, it increases the gap in privilege and in terms of access in, in a really negative and scary way. Absolutely. I think this pandemic has really illuminated the inequities that so many of us in this space have have no exist and how the communities that we care about and work with are being disproportionately impacted. Um, Particularly when we think about kids who might have access to like these pods and kids who are already in private schools, right? And so when you think about um, people or schools that have that kids have been back already, um, have smaller classrooms, um, are able to be physically distanced in an easier way. Um, that have significant testing capabilities and all of the things we know are helpful, there are definitely differences by level of resource of the school. And those differences translate to the home learning environments also like we were talking about. You know, if it's barriers to having the appropriate technology or consistent Wi-Fi connections or enough devices for everybody or whatever it might be, or even just physical space, right? If there's not enough space for people, then how are you really going to be able to have the time to focus and to learn if people are trying to trying to share a space that isn't meant for that amount of space? And that in itself has negative impacts, not just on the, the sort of curriculum-based education side of things, but also in a profound way, like you guys have talked about, the ability to maintain the physical education aspect of schooling. Yeah, the reason that I wrote this article along with Keisha was that I started thinking in a different way about space in the pandemic. So in the, in the beginning, when it was pretty cold, uh, I'm, I'm based in uh, Washington, D.C., and, and it was just a, a chilly spring, I remember how it felt when I started to be able to sit outside and be comfortable um, and, you know, get some work done out in my private little patio that I have at my house. And I remember how much that improved my mental health to have this space where I was able to be outside. And I am so aware (laughs) that 
that only certain people have access to their own private spaces where they can be outside. And in the pandemic, you know, being outside is so important. That's how we are able to spend time with others in a way that is more safe. Um, it can be a, a refuge from, uh, you know, our family members or the people that we live with when we need a little space from them. And so, so I just started thinking about how private space, but also the right to public space and how important it was that public spaces be changed um, from, you know, what they currently are, which is largely emphasizing how cars can move around those spaces and how um, private uh, companies can make use of those spaces. I started thinking about how important it was to change that and to change how we think about public space because we all need it more in a way that we weren't reliant on it before. Um, it has always been a problem, but I think you know, in the pandemic, it has just gotten a lot worse. So I'd been thinking about this for months, um, just the right to space and the privilege of space. And then when school was starting, I was thinking about, um, about how things need to change to help the kids that are lacking physical activity opportunities, um, how those public spaces can change to promote that. Mm -hmm. And I guess the other component of that is like you sort of mentioned in terms of your own experiences is that the physical activity requirements for kids is not just about like getting out and running around, but for everybody, but especially for kids, there's some serious mental implications on those things also, you know, in terms of physical literacy, joy, you know, spending time with others, all that kind of stuff is, is incredibly important and removing access to that has huge negative implications on everybody, but especially children in schools like you talked about. Would you like to speak to some of the benefits of physical activity and some of the most important things that come out of that and why it's so important to prioritize? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so we, so con I can continue first along the lines of thinking that, that, that Katie was just sharing, which is the, the significant benefits for, for mental health, for, for children who are physically active, um, uh, we know in terms of uh, the physical activity for kids is also great in terms of just improving flexibility, bone strength. Um, we know that there's correlations with um, with weight loss or weight maintenance as well. Um, so for but for kids, it's really healthy growth, right? So it, for kids who are um, uh, being active as they're um, as they're growing, uh, the other part of this too is that we we like to think about physical activity for kids being um, age and ability appropriate as well. And so I wanna just lift that up so that the kids are being active um, safely, but certainly benefits for physical health, mental health, emotional health. Um, and there's also research showing the benefits of the guardians playing with the kids too. So we've been, uh, we've, I've been involved in research, I've led research where we have engaged adults and guardians as well and showing the benefits of for them of engaging and um, being supporters of physical activity for, for kids in their household, um, which has really been, been I think, a, an interesting thing to promote during this pandemic where, where, where there's the opportunity or where guardians and parents do have time, right, to be active in that way. When there was so much of the conversation around making sure you're playing with like who's in your household unit, well, you have guardians with you who are able to engage in that activity as well. And we saw some, some benefits for them based on some prior work I've been involved with. Yeah, and I think the benefits of physical activity are people are feeling them so much more in this pandemic. Um, you know, as adults who have a lot more of an ability to focus in on 
on Zoom meetings and work on computers. I know that, you know, just for me personally, getting to go outside, walk around, you know, w- walk my dog, do something where I'm moving my body, that just makes me feel so much better. But for kids, wow, um, th- this way that we're asking them to live their lives and to do their learning is even more challenging for them. And so having places where kids get to be silly, where kids get to you know, move their bodies in ways that make them tired and are fun, that's just so much more important now than I think it was before. And, and, and so it's difficult to see these disparities emerging in a pandemic where disparities have you know, shaped the entire story so far. Um, it's just, I think physical activity is one piece of the disparities puzzle in the pandemic that just doesn't get as much attention. And I'll just add in terms of the, the I think the important thing too to lift up from this story is the significant inequities in terms of access to these spaces, right? So we think about kids in certain environments and even kids in urban environments, kids, some kids in rural areas um, who just don't have access to safe places to be active. Um, That was why in the piece, we talked about having increased access to public spaces. Uh, We see cities closing down streets to traffic so people can be outside, so they can physically distance and be active. Um, And so in my neighborhood, it's been great to see kids outside riding their bikes, Um, walking and playing um, in the street where there's no cars coming by. Um, And I live in a neighborhood with very little vehicle traffic anyway. Um, And then to go into a place in the city where there are streets closed down um, just creates an opportunity for kids to be out and be safely and to enjoy the benefits of that outdoor time, as, as Katie talked about a little while ago. Yeah, it's interesting how this pandemic has almost created like a return to form in terms of play in so many ways. Like we talked about earlier in this conversation, you know, up until this point, I think it's been such a go, go, go sort of environment and approach to things. And there's been so many distractions. And I think that people are looking at things from, had been looking at things much more from a utilitarian purpose. And where can you fit this in? And then you schedule it in a more regimented way, which is counter to the way that play was when I was a kid. And I'm sure when you were kids and how play sort of naturally unfolds and the importance of that sort of free play exploratory side of things for kids. And, you know, like you mentioned, if you have a backyard, that becomes really easy to sort of let your kid just run around and and do whatever they need to back there versus if you're an apartment complex or somewhere that doesn't have access to outdoor spaces. And it's been great to see, like you mentioned, that there is sort of a reprioritization. There seems to be less cars on the road, even in cities, and more opportunities for people to to value how important it is to go outside and take a walk or to be able to have the space to be able to run around and play and to have access to those things because there's such a lack of control that I think is felt and such an underlying anxiety that exists in so many people and kids are feeling that also and the ability to get outside and even just distract yourself from it and work out those anxieties instead of being forced to sit down in front of a screen which is super unnatural for everybody It's just such a healthy way to sort of reconcile what's going on. And especially if, like you mentioned, Keisha, if there's a connection between guardian and child in those moments, and you can create more of that sort of familial bond in the fact that there are more opportunities for people to be in the same place together for longer periods of time and to maybe have meals together that they wouldn't have opportunities to before. And, you know, less running around from meeting to meeting in these different places is why not use those as opportunities to harness and encourage healthy physical activity between the family and to create those opportunities. 
Yeah, I just say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think there's just so many benefits of, of this, uh, of what we're talking about today. And, um, uh, you know, I think that there are some concerns too, as, as just the weather point that Katie made earlier, as we're approaching winter. Um, uh, what does that mean? You know, I was talking to uh, a, a friend the other day who said, you know, oh, I, I, I can't, I won't be able to go outside as much with my kids in the, in the winter time. And I said, you know, you have access to warm coats and gloves and hats. Like kids can play outside when it's cold. Um, and it, and it reminds me of all the kids who don't have access to warm coats and hats and gloves and what that means for them, right. Where they can't even, um, weather the, the cold outside. Um, even so when it's beneficial to be outside, even when it's, it's cold, just to have that outdoor exposure to, to ambient air and just be outside in the sun or whatever else it is, there, there are kids who are going to be continuously uh, disproportionate by that access. Um, so I just wanted to, to mention that as well. I think we'll see these challenges continue to be at the forefront come winter time. Yeah, I, I was recently asked about what parents should be doing to help their kids to be physically active. Now, of course, that's an important question, right? Um, parents are now taking on a role that they never really envisioned in their children's lives where they're, they're, te they're teachers all day, they, they have to manage them in these new ways. And so I, I think that that's important. Um, but I don't like when too much of the focus is on what parents should be doing. Um, parents are spread so thin right now, um, being expected to do their work from home, to take care of their children at the same time. Um, although I, I do want to point out that um, many children in underserved communities, their parents are more likely to be essential workers, so they're less likely to be at home, and, and that's a, a challenge too. Um, but you know, like Keisha's saying, there are so many things that aren't just individual level problems that can be solved by parents, you know, t taking some initiative to take their kids to a park <laughs> or something like that. And that's something that I, I wanna keep bringing back into the conversation about play is that it's not just about parents taking initiative. Um, that is a piece of this, but communities need to step up and you know, ensure that more children are getting the, the warm clothing that they'll need to be outside, um, that there are safe spaces, that there are carless areas. Um, so that's just something that I, I try to keep reinserting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Katie, this is Keisha. It's really important, especially because, as you said, it's not just about having time or telling that parents go take that kid to the park. They might not even live near a park, right? They might not. They might not live near a safe park, that, or have that the, that physical environment, that built environment that even supports this kind of activity. Yeah, and I think it's a really important reminder, like you mentioned, that you know the onus falling on parents' shoulders now is, I think, beating a lot of people down, and everybody is adjusting to this sort of new normal and this new reality and taking on roles like they didn't have before. And like you mentioned, this is this is a universal problem that doesn't affect just one family. This affects all families across all income brackets, across all geographic regions. And it's important for communities to come together and recognize this and take steps to be able to solve those problems like you mentioned in creating access. And it's sort of a good transition to another thing that I wanted to bring up, which is initiatives like Play Streets that I know have been um, an area of focus for you, Keisha. And I was wondering if you maybe want to talk a little bit about that and what that looks like. Yeah, Play Streets uh, are, are an initiative that started uh, in city environments years ago as a way to close down streets to cars primarily to create opportunities for kids to be able to play safely in the streets. 
Um, so we've had funding from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the US and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation through an initiative called uh, the Physical Activity Research Center where we've partnered with communities across the country to turn streets into play spaces and when there's not a street that makes sense, other unused public spaces like a parking lot or somewhere else. You might be thinking, well, where does the street not make sense? Well, we've worked with rural communities and urban areas and in our rural communities, you might have one street going through a neighborhood and you can't close it down, it's not feasible, but there are parking lots that aren't used and you can bring in equipment and opportunities for kids to play and include you know, balls, jump ropes, hula hoops, other kinds of um, things, just uh, inflatables. Uh, and you create this space that for a few hours, kids can come and play. Um, and then you sort of break that all down and then you can set it up again. It's a really great strategy, particularly in the summer months when schools are closed um, and we know that kids aren't as active, right? Because they don't have access to the, all the things we've been talking about. So I think Play Streets is a really great strategy to implement now during the pandemic where you're bringing opportunities for active play to kids where they live in their neighborhoods. Yeah, and I think initiatives like that are, especially now, like we mentioned, are so important because when, you know, de- depending on where you are and the severity of the potential lockdown or, or how big your bubble is or isn't allowed to be at this time, it's it's so easy to feel incredibly disconnected from the world and from your your local community and from your neighborhoods. And for initiatives like this to to come together where communities are recognizing that there is a, a universal need that is affecting everybody and the best way to reestablish that connection is to create opportunities for that connection and understanding that there is a challenge and a barrier that occurs that is, is affecting everybody. And if we can take steps collectively to be able to create opportunities to address that and also create more of that connection so that people feel less less alienated or less alone or less like they're fighting these things on their on by, by themselves because this these struggles that are being felt are being felt by everybody and and the more opportunities there are for connection especially in outdoor spaces especially when it's you know physical active and play based uh, are only beneficial yeah absolutely and we saw from the evaluation work that we did in both urban and rural settings that there were opportunities to increase social cohesion and connections between children. Um, We talked to kids who said that, you know, they didn't see their friends when school ended because they live so far away from each other in rural settings, but they were able to come together at these play streets once a week. We also know that guardians and parents who attended the play streets with the kids met new neighbors. Um, So lots of Great benefits. And we also know it doesn't take a ton of money to do this. And I th- so it really is accessible for communities um, and really a way to take back the streets. Katie talked about how streets are so designed for cars. Play streets are a way to say no vehicles on this street. It's going to be a safe place for kids in this community to come out and play for a certain amount of hours every week for some period of time. And they're really incredibly beneficial. Yeah, and like you said, it can take a, a simple form also, and, and in many ways, the infrastructure for this stuff exists and might be unused in these moments. Like one of the things that you guys mentioned in the in the article is thinking about things like joint use agreements for unused schoolyards. You know, like these these resources, these places exist. It's just a matter of of recognizing and seizing the opportunity to be able to create these spaces that are so vital and so needed by communities these days. Well, so 
this is one thing that I was, I, I personally just want to ask Keisha about. I'm wondering how play streets could adapt to a time where people are afraid to get together in groups and they're afraid to be touching the same thing. I was just curious if Keisha had some ideas or if she had seen this implemented in practice um, to help families feel safe when they're getting together, even when it's outside. I, I was curious if you had ideas about that. Yeah, we've been talking about this with communities across the country, how to set these up in a way that that are safe. And one of the great things about play streets is that there are different zones, right? And so you can you can have a little bit more of a structure where people are um, one going uh, in a sort of in a pattern, right? So imagine setting up different stations or zones, right? So you have hopscotch, for example, you have a place where you can jump rope, and you might encourage people to bring their own rope, right? And so kids can can have their own equipment or their own ball. Or for people who have extra jump ropes, you actually can give jump ropes away to kids who come to the play streets in that time. We've worked with organizations who have extra equipment and can do that. But there is a way to set up the spaces so that people are still together socially, but, but distance apart enough in a way that they are not putting each other at risk. Um, and so they're at least six feet away, but they're still close enough that they can see each other. Um, and again, there are other types of, of um, activities that we can do where people aren't sharing equipment like balls, right? And so I think that's that's what we've been talking to parents about. That's what we've been telling communities, that you can set these up so the stations are far enough apart um, where you still get the benefits of being together socially, uh, but have very low risk of transmission of the virus because you are physically distanced, you still are wearing a mask, you're not sharing equipment. And some of it is just about being around other kids, right? Like you talked about, like just being around other kids who are having fun and laughing. Um, and it's less about having to, you know, throw the ball back and forth to each other. You can throw the ball um, vertically and catch it and, and have a whole game doing that. We've seen that at Play Street. So it's about being creative um, and kids just want to have fun and play. And, and we've certainly seen kids playing um, by themselves, but in community with each other. That's great. I mean, there's a ton of ingenuity that kids have. And from what I've seen is that kids are pretty good at understanding what the state of the world is right now and, and what they should and shouldn't be doing to be able to keep themselves and, and their families and, and other people safe and, you know, adapting and figuring out new ways to play alongside each other. Like you mentioned, something as simple as instead of throwing the ball back and forth, why don't you throw the ball vertically? And, and what does that look like? And that's still fun and kids are still adapting and figuring out ways to make that happen. And it's just about providing opportunities and spaces, really, you know, and, and like we mentioned, there are significant barriers depending on different income brackets and different communities who may or may not have easy access depending on where they live or you know the circumstances of their living and or whatever it might be and it's just I think what it boils down to is it's just really about making as many people aware of these challenges as possible and recognizing how important physical activity is to the health and well-being of children and making sure that those things remain a priority so that communities and individual families or whoever it might be are, are, are getting together either on a neighborhood level or on a bigger level to be able to create these opportunities in these spaces, recognizing that there is an issue that, that, that is existing these days that, that needs to be addressed. Yeah, I think that we've seen a lot of creative solutions to problems we never envisioned we would face in the pandemic. And, and that has been something that has been heartening to see. Um, it seems like there, it's so, so often it's a matter of who has the will 
and what is prioritized. And so we wanted to make a case that this is something that should be taken very seriously and that communities need to be thinking creatively about solutions to this problem. And I think that the article does a great job of highlighting that and making it clear and, and making a good case for the importance that exists and, and the barriers that exist there. So I highly recommend that everybody goes and checks out the article that we're talking about from the conversation. I'll make sure to include a link in the episode bio so that everybody can have a look at that. But before we wrap up, is there anything else that, that you guys wanted to add um, on this topic to make sure that everyone's getting the full story? Something that I really wanted to emphasize here is how much a lot of children are losing out in the pandemic. And they're, they're giving up a lot so that, uh, so that their communities can be safe. And so I think it's really time for communities to step up and, and think about what we can do to try to make this a healthier time for them and a more fun time for them because fun is, is still important even when it feels like a lot of days aren't, aren't as fun as they used to be. And I'll just add that, I'll add to that and, and first of all, strongly echo Katie's comments and just say that um, there are so many benefits to children playing outside. So active outdoor play is critical and we have lots of strategies that work. Again, encouraging cities to close down streets, close down driving lanes, replace them with activity areas, promote play streets that can be age appropriate, child friendly, and done in a way that is still promoting community while keeping people safe because they can still be physically apart. So we, cities know how to do this. I hope that other cities embrace these strategies as well. Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate all the work that you guys do individually, the work that you did to pull together this this article and, and for being a part of this conversation. Because again, I can't underscore how important I think this is. Again, this has been a, a, lot, a lot of this stuff is stuff that we've been focusing on in the podcast about physical activity, about barriers to education, about barriers to opportunities for physical activity and the importance of all of those things. So, you know, this it's sort of a great summary and encompasses a lot of that stuff. So again, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to be part of this and for all the work that you guys do. Thank you, Thank you for having us, letting us talk about something that we're really passionate about. Thank you so much again. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Bebus Rediscovering Play podcast with our guests, Katie Esmond and Keisha Pollock-Porter. If you'd like to find out more about Bebus Rediscovering Play podcast or check out any of our other episodes, visit us at rediscoveringplay.fm and listen in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast content. As always, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and learned a few things along the way. Thank you so much for rediscovering play with us.